Hear this word, O house of Israel, this lament I take up concerning you. Fallen is virgin Israel, never to rise again, deserted in her own land, with no one to lift her up. This is what the sovereign Lord says. The city that marches out a thousand strong for Israel will have only a hundred left. The town that marches out a hundred strong will have only ten left. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. Do not seek Bethel. Do not go to go to Gilgal. Do not journey to Beersheba. For Gilgal will surely go into exile, and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will seep, sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. It will devour, and Bethel will have no one to quench it. You can turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. He who made the Pleiades and Orion, who turns blackness into dawn and darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. He flashes destruction on the stronghold and brings the fortified city to ruin. You hate the one who reproves in court and despise him who tells the truth. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent man keeps quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good, not evil that you may live, then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord God Almighty will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the Lord God Almighty says. There will be wailing in all the streets and cries of anguish in every public square. The farmers will be summoned to weep and the mourners to wail. There will be wailing in all the vineyards, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the darkness of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings for years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your god, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Calneh and look at it. Go from where great Hamath, uh, and then go to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the evil day and bring near the reign of terror. 
You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and Im improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The sovereign Lord, who has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty, declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. If ten men are left in one house, they too will die. And if a relative who is to burn the bodies comes to carry them out of the house and asks, them, asks anyone still hiding there, is anyone with you? And he says, no, then he will say, hush, we must not mention the name of the Lord. For the Lord has given the command and he will smash the great house into pieces and the small house to bits. Do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plow there with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar and say, did we not take Karname by our own strength? For the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, O house of Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Labo, Hamath, to the valley of Araba. Well, greetings, Shore Church. Uh, I know we've been studying and working our way through the book of Amos. Amos, the farmer turned prophet. And he's been speaking to Israel at a time in the northern kingdom where they've had a period of well-being and security, but he's warning them that things are going to change. And starting with Pastor James and uh, Pastor Norm and Pastor Jordan uh, have been uh, speaking and uh, taking us through the text, and it's been wonderful as we've studied God's Word. Uh, I'm James's father, uh, for those that may not recognize me, David Bonney, and I count it a privilege to share in, your, in the series and in your worship this day. And in fact, we pray for you every week. We join the service every week, and it's been great having that opportunity to do that. Forty years ago, uh, I was a young pastor, unmarried, and, uh, but I was engaged to my wife, Janet, and we were planning when to get married. And so we were talking about it, and, and I said, I got it. We'll get married right after the Amos series and right before the Christmas series. And that's exactly what we did. We were married November the 15th, 1980. And while I don't have those notes, <laughs> I am uh, thankful for our, uh, our, our marriage and for each other and, and for our two boys, Nathan and James, of course. So uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. So this morning... Our, let us just join in prayer. Father God, we thank you that we can gather and in this way, some in, in our homes, and we just thank you that 
your spirit is everywhere present, and your word speaks to us wherever we are. And so, Lord, take this time, use your word, and enable me, Father, that it might be clear, and we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen. The book of Amos uh, basically divides into two parts. If uh, using the ESV study Bible, it basically divides oracles of judgment, chapters 1 to 6, and then visions of judgment, chapters 7 through 9.15. And today we've come to chapters 5 and 6, and often these two chapters are seen as a unit. And it ends the oracles of judgment and the first half of the book. Now, you'll remember in prophetic writing and prophetic speaking, there's basically two kinds. There's forth-telling, that's speaking out against issues, calling the people to repentance, proclaiming the truth of God. And and so we've seen that, and we'll see it again in these two chapters But then there's also foretelling, and foretelling, of course, predicts the future, tells what's coming down the road, and we will also see that in these uh, two chapters. This section of Amos is also special in that it contains our theme verse, Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And so we'll be building our study today around the theme verse and looking at uh, prophetic writing in both foretelling and forthtelling. Our theme is that we as believers need to listen to the Lord speak to us and to challenge us. The outline of basically is justice defined, uh, sorry, justice defended, justice defined, and then justice demonstrated. Justice defended, justice defined, and then justice demonstrated. Justice defended. The Lord is going to point to uh, future events that are not too... far down the future, Uh, but it reminds us that he is the Lord of history. He is always active, and history is, as we often have said, is his story, and he is sovereign and active, and we see in Amos uh, an emphasis on God's sovereignty, often in the names that are used of, of God, Lord of hosts. Yahweh, and then also we'll see uh, pointing to his creation as he uh, created in, uh, in chapter 5, it says that he created and the Lord is his name. And so we need to remember this, and of course it's important in these days when things are a little bit strange. In fact, I don't know how many times I've used that expression. These are strange days because it seems nothing is, quote, normal and 
Now we don't know what normal will be, but we're getting more of it, but we're not getting less of it. <laughs> it's uh, uh, very confusing, but the Lord is still on the throne. And so here the sovereign Lord uh, is going to give two predictions of the same event, one at the beginning of chapter 5 and one at the very end of chapter 6. There are a few other little ones in between of the same event, but that's, it's these bookends that I want you to see this morning. He begins with a, a funeral lament. He, he begins with what some call a funeral song. In verse chapter 1, uh, sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, hear this word that I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land, with none to raise her up. And then uh, this terrifying description. He says, the city that went out a thousand will have a hundred left, and those that went out a hundred will have ten left to the house of Israel. And so he's, he's pointing to this future event that is coming, and we know that the future events that were prophesied, some were quite a ways down the road. In fact, we're still waiting for some, the return of our Lord Jesus and, and other prophecies that are quite a ways down the road. But then others were close, and when Amos spoke here, these events were not too far down the road. His report, report uh, pointing to this uh, coming of another con uh, nation to defeat Israel, and so he announces to the people that uh, it's coming, and it's going to be severe. And then if you go all the way, as I said, they're like bookends. It begins with a lament, and he goes to chapter 6 at the very end. And you could probably pick it up even at verse 10, but 14 is very clear. For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. So he's going to raise up a nation to call them to accountability for the coming judgment. Uh, Assyria, this was Assyria. They were uh, very capable and very cruel in conquering other nations. They didn't have cameras, you know, but they were so interested that people knew what they did and how they did it that they carved pictures on the wall. And you can see these in um, museums. And it describes and shows pictures of how they did it, how they uh, killed and tortured and even hooked people and carried them away and brought them in into exile. And so this is what he's pointing to. And it happened in 722 B.C., Assyria comes in, and the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, and conquers them and takes them away to exile. God makes uh, calls for accountability, 
and they have to pay a price. But even it hurts the heart of God that these things happen, and yet he has to, uh, justice has to be carried out. And so he defends justice. And our call is to live for him and live under his sovereignty and know that he is sovereign and that he is active uh, in all the events of history. Justice defended. Then we come to justice defined. What is uh, the definition here? Well, this is where we come to our Having looked at these two bookends, we now come to the middle and we look at uh, this definition, and it's chapter 5, verse 24, right in the middle of our text. And again, it says, But justice, let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. He puts together justice and righteousness in defining what justice is all about. One author has said that justice is to be fair and impartial administration of the Mosaic law, which included concern for others. Justice also spoke about the legal courts. In fact, you find that expression, and it helps understand different parts of Scripture to understand this, that when you walked into a big city, the walls were thick. They, they were thick. And well, why were they thick? Well, they were thick to protect, obviously. And, but they were thick because they had chambers and rooms inside the walls. And these chambers and rooms, that, well, there was a practical military purpose in that they could... If they were under attack, they could hide extra soldiers in those rooms, and when the enemy came through the gate, then they could come out and attack. But more practically, and on the long run, it was they, that's when the, where the courts were. That's where the transactions were made. That's where the social laws were en- enacted and the scriptural laws and how they were legally carried out. So when they came into the gates, they went and saw the judge. They went and reported. They went and bought land. They, all these things. And, and so that's why in verse 15 of chapter 5, he says, establish justice in the gate. That's where they, uh, these things occurred. And justice and righteousness were to go together. Warren Wearsby said that God's concern for the people to be righteous in character and just in conduct. Al Moiter describes the connection between justice and righteousness like this. Justice is therefore the right behavior in relation to others whereby they taste and experience what is good and pleasant. Justice is the fruit of righteousness. Broadly speaking, therefore, justice is correct moral practice in daily personal and social life. And so righteousness is the cultivation, and righteousness is the cultivation of correct moral principle both for self and for society. So justice is mainly outward, and righteousness mainly inward. 
We often talk about being right with God, and our right relationship with God is played out in our actions and our activities in society and with others. And so what was it to be like? That helps sort of see how they were connected. And this is where the Old Testament is so great. The words often draw the picture, and though that picture then helps us uh, further understand. But let justice flow down like the waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It was, uh, they were to be like the waters. The waters, uh, the word here is often used of the fast-flowing waters. Uh, it's noted by some uh, that it's plural, the waters. And when the rainy season came and the waters flowed very quickly. In fact, there, there was a certain kind of river or, or that it was called a wadi. That's a word you may have heard before, but a wadi, W-A-D-I-S. And it's basically a dry bed that in the wet season uh, becomes a flowing river and comes alive, and then it dries up and is no more uh, for a period. And what you have here is both concepts, uh, sort of the fast-flowing uh, uh, of the rainy season, but you have that ever-flowing stream. And so there is a source, and that source keeps the stream ever-flowing and not like a wadi, which dries up. And so the implication is that Justice and righteousness has to keep on going. It has to ever be an ever-flowing stream. It, it will be full and, and active, but it must keep on going and not stop. Again, Al Moiter says that the Lord is looking for lives whose energies abundantly and perpetually are flowing out in righteousness and justice that are abundantly and perpetually flowing out in righteousness and justice. It was not to stop. It was not to be like a wadi. It was not to dry up. It was to keep on going. But what would cause justice and righteousness uh, to dry up? Well, getting disconnected from the source uh, would cause it to from, stop it from being an ever-flowing stream. Uh, it's a reminder that we need to stay in the Word and to stay in regular communion with the Lord, to walk in His Spirit and let Him speak and work uh, through us. John seven thirty eight says, Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living waters. We are, Ephesians five eighteen to be filled with the Spirit. And so we're to live out our lives for the Lord. Whatever you do, do unto the Lord. And we need to pursue this ongoing carrying out of righteousness and justice. Jesus said, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and prophets. Do you seek to live for the Lord every day? Do you seek to love others? Uh, it is our desire to please him. Our aim is to please the Lord and to live out our lives for him. Do you want to see people see right living and right acting in your social life and daily living? I trust you do. That's justice defined. So we had justice defended, justice defined, and then justice demonstrated. What did it look like? How did they live it out uh, every, every day? When it, Amos describes what justice and righteousness looked like, he both described what it shouldn't look like, but what it should look like, that both were part. God desires changed lives and not just mental assent or legalistic obedience. This is true for you, and it's true for me. So, having done the bookends of chapter 5 and 6, the foretelling, and looking at the key verse, now we'll walk our way through and, and see what it did look like and how they were to demonstrate it. Chapter 5, verse 4, Seek me and live. And then in chapter, uh, verse 6, uh, it says, seek the Lord and live. So seek me and live. Did you catch that? It, it's a little different. You see, sometimes the prophet not only spoke, thus says the Lord, but they actually became the mouthpiece of the Lord. It was the Lord speaking through them. And here he says, seek me. And, and live. It was the first person. He was calling them to a, a relationship, uh, intimate relationship with him. Can you imagine that that's what God desires, and that's what he desires for us, to have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, and when you, that happens, then you truly live. The Lord gives life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. A similar phrase that Jesus used one time was, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It was not just in religious places, because, see, they were so focused on uh, historical religious centers uh, he says, do not seek Bethel, and do not enter Gilgal, and do not go to Beersheba. It's not going to be found there. It's found in me, in a personal relationship with the Lord. And so it is for us. It's not in a place, but it's in a person. And uh, so the question is always, have you responded to his personal invitation to you? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? 
In Revelation 3.20, it says, he, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, and I will dwell with him, and he with me, and they, we will eat together. He, the sovereign Lord, becomes your personal Lord and Savior. And this is what, of course, we, we know Jesus emphasized and, and taught and our famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Seek me and live everlasting life. But that's, it's also a knowledge, it's a personal relationship in John 17, 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ. So the question that the Amos was asking his people, and the Lord asked you and asked me today, have you received Jesus as your Savior? That's the most important decision that you'll ever make. Seek the Lord and live. Then turn, the next emphasis, he says, turn from sin, which is avoiding injustice. Turn away from sin. Verse 7, he says, Oh, you have turned justice into wormwood and cast righteousness to the earth. He is pointing out their sin, that they have not treated people fairly, that they have not done things to honor God. And so they've turned justice into wormwood, which was a bitter and became poisonous. They've turned it into poison, cast it to the earth. And then in verse 10, uh, he goes on to list a whole bunch of their sins, in fact, he'll say in verse 12, I know all your transgressions. He, he lists, you've ignored the truth. You, you don't want to listen to those who, you abhor the one who speaks truth. This could be truth from God's word. This could be truth of, of honesty. But they abhor the, the truth. They trample the poor. Uh, and you trample the poor, and you exact taxes from him uh, who you have built houses. They build big houses, but they exact, take extra taxes from people as, the, as they come. In verse 12, in the second half, he says, you've afflicted the righteous. You've even taken a bribe. So here in these chambers as they come in, they're, they're coming with little envelopes. They're paying extra to get what they want, to get their, their way. And, and the Lord says, this is not right. Can you imagine? And then he says, they turn away the needy at the gate. So people come in for help, and they turn them away at the gate. And don't give them the help that they need. These are powerful words. Reminds me of those verses in Hebrews that 
Uh, James, in the his first sermon, I remember hearing him say uh, that no, no 4.13, it says, Hebrews 4.13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to him to whom we have to give an account. You can't escape it. God knows your heart knows everything. So what is your attitude toward truth? What is your attitude toward the poor? What is your attitude toward responsibility, uh, social responsibility? Do you make an effort to care for the poor? Uh, I remember somebody saying, we can't do everything. And that's right. The needs are tremendous all over the world. But we need to do something. What is the something that you are doing? Then he goes on in chapter 5 of Amos. He says uh, in verse 14 and 15, Seek, the Lord, seek good and not evil that you may live so the Lord may be with you. He calls them to seek good and not evil. And then he flips it in verse 15. Hate evil and love good. It's really the same but with greater emphasis. Uh, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Uh, that it may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to you. See, the courts, the place uh, as you entered the city was to be a place of grace and truth and helping and dealing with issues in a right way. And so um, here that's what he's calling them to. Do you hate evil and love good? And then he goes on in, in, over in eight, verse 18 to describe, don't rely on your religious status. Don't rely on your religious status. Uh, this uh, is one of those woe expressions. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? See, they thought the, the day of the Lord was a, prophetic expression and it referred to God's judgment and so they were wanting the day of the Lord that God would judge the people uh, judge their enemies and he's saying he's flipping it around and saying don't be asking for that because God's judgment's coming on you uh, he's going to speak to you he says it's darkness and not light and then he does this it's almost a bit of humor but uh, not really. He says, you flee the lion and you meet a bear. You get home and you safely put your hand on the wall and you think, that's good, no more trouble. And you get bit by a serpent. He says, that kind of thing, you think you're a, you've got the right position and you're right, but your heart isn't right. And God's judgment is coming upon you. Then he, he uh, goes on to say, and don't count on your religious activity done with a heart that isn't right with God. Don't count on that religious activity. In fact, look at how strong his language is. I hate. I despise. 
your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Very strong language. And even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. God is speaking strongly through the prophet to them uh, and hits at the heart of the religiosity that they thought they had right status, they thought they were doing things just right, or they were standing confidently, and yet their hearts were not right. Their hearts were not in it. Do you ever wonder how our worship sounds to the Lord? Do you ever wonder that? Uh, one thing we've had to get used to, and I uh, being a little older, it was maybe a little more tricky for me maybe, but uh, was Zoom calls. You have these Zoom calls. We have Zoom meetings and we have Zoom calls. And uh, there's this thing when you're first getting started that sometimes... You see, person's talking, but you're not hearing anything. Uh, the mouth is moving, and so you start making signals. Trying to get them to turn on the volume or turn up the volume. Is that what our worship is like to God? Or is it like Amos is describing, just a lot of noise? Just a... Uh, he describes uh, a lot of noise. Or is it beautiful music to him? Well, our desire and our heart is that we would honor him fully and that it would be truly beautiful music. Colossians three sixteen and 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Do it all unto him. Then he moves on in, in, in chapter 6 as we walk through how it's demonstrated, justice is demonstrated and he says, he warns them against complacency. He says in verse 1 of chapter 6, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, to those who feel secure in the Mount of Samaria. That they had this, everything was okay, I don't have to worry about it. They were feeling at ease. What they feel and what the reality, though, is two different things. They have been overtaken by complacency. Complacency is a very dangerous thing. It is for every one of us. Again, uh, Warren Wiersbe, in his commentary, says, Complacency is an insidious sin because it is based on lies motivated by pride and leads to trusting something other than God. 
What are you complacent about? Are you complacent in certain areas? Are you complacent about your walk with God? That's okay. Or are you complacent about your concern for others? Are you complacent about your relationships, your key relationships, and especially in your families? Are you complacent about how your desire to see people come to know Jesus? Has that just become kind of a side burner thing? Are you complacent in your desire for justice and righteousness lived out in our society? Ask the Lord to show you where your heart and actions have become complacent. Ask him to speak to you and, and show you. And then ask him to show you where and how you can change. Well, he moves on from complacency to overindulgence. He's, he says, uh, he gives us quite a description in the beginning of verse 4 of chapter 6. So woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches. Many of the people at that time had mats on floors. And so here you, they not only have a couch, but they, it, it's ivory. And eat lambs from their flock and calves and from the midst of their stall, who sing idle songs on the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music. I, I didn't know. <laughs> Did David invent instruments? Well, obviously, uh, just, but just idle and, and overindulgent and just got time to waste and things to do. Or how about this one? Drink wine from bowls. Now, he didn't say cups, didn't say glass. He said drink wine from bowls, just overindulgent. Uh, anoint yourself with the finest oils and not be grieved over the loss of others and the pain of others. And so it's that self-centeredness to the extreme. This is not pleasing to God. In fact, Amos goes on to say, and because of it, you're going to be the first to go. You're going to be the first to be carried away to exile, verse 7 of chapter 6. Therefore, you will be the first of those who go into exile. And the reveille of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. And so the extreme overindulgent, again, God speaks out against. Well, what about us? Well, we've been blessed. And are you thankful for what God has done, but then are you faithful? Or are you just want more and more and more? We need to watch out for overindulgence and be thankful for God's blessing and use them to his glory. And then he goes on to talk about pride. And another issue that God speaks to the people about and wants to speak to us about our own pride. And look at how he, he kind of stacks the case up. Um, 
God really means this one. Don't think it's just pride. Well, that's just for a, a non-issue almost. But here he says to the people, the Lord God, the Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. Are you listening? He's saying, listen, listen, listen. And then he says, I abhor the pride. I abhor your pride. Has pride crept into your life? It's so easy, so subtle sometimes that you hardly recognize it until it's full-blown. But he, he says, I, I abhor it. I, I hate your strongholds. I will deliver up your city. So he speaks very strongly to them about their, their pride. Because you see, pride leads to injustice. And pride leads to not glorifying God and doing what he desires. And so he says in verse 12, You have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Wormwood. That they, again, have not taken what justice is, but they have poisoned it destroyed it and uh, turned it away. So be careful. Pride is a destructive thing. Ask him to speak to you. And as Peter says, humble yourself, therefore, in, this is First Peter 5, 6, and 7, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that at the proper time he will lift you up. So let justice and righteousness roll down like the waters. May it not stop. At times, a, a, a strong current, but always flowing. Seek the Lord and live. Put him first in everything. Remember Jesus' word, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6, 33, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Put him first in your life, let him change you, and always look to him to speak to you. When my wife was diagnosed with MS, uh, God gave her a verse that, uh, from John eleven four, and it says this, thus this is, Illness will not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. So that the Son of Man will be glorified through it. And she in her heart prayed a prayer and said, Lord, how can I glorify you through this? And she felt him say, I will show you how. I will show you how. And let us, as we listen to a sermon like this that speaks of justice and righteousness, Lord, how do I live this out? How do I live this out? Well, he's pointed to some key areas. But say, Lord, show me how that I might live my life for you. And if you're here this morning or this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this, uh, and You've never asked Jesus to be your Savior. Today is the day of salvation.
Turn to him. Ask him to forgive your sins and be your savior. Jesus paid the whole price uh, on the cross. And so we need to ask his forgiveness and invite him in to be our savior. Hear him say, seek me, come to me. Whosoever will may come. In Romans 10, 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him today. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Father God, we thank you for your heart for your people to follow after you, your heart for us to know you and to live in justice and righteousness to your glory every day. Lord, we pray that you would guide us and direct us and show us. And we just pray that many will come to know you as Savior and live for you. And we pray for our world and that all may hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And Lord, continue to uh, teach us by it. We give you praise and glory in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. Thank you.